Welcome to the Busy Leaders Podcast, a catalyst for inspired action, a lively and engaging podcast hosted by Quint Studer. I'm Nicole Webb Bodie, the Chief Impact Officer for Studer Family of Companies. Quint has a great love for teaching his insights and has authored nine books in addition to the Wall Street Journal bestseller, The Busy Leaders Handbook. He's always on the lookout for ways to share great learning tools and best practices. Through his podcast, Quint chats with leaders from all industries and corners of America on how they're tackling the biggest challenges of our time. From this fresh mix of voices emerges a compelling picture of what leadership looks like in the rough and tumble trenches of 2020. You'll often walk away with tactical tools, tips, and leadership hacks that you can apply to your own business, community, and life. This week, Quint talks to Kevin Reichardt, the publisher of August Publications, which does several sports, business, and active living websites. They are probably best known for publishing Ballpark Digest. Kevin unfolds the story of his wildly unpredictable career, the lessons he learned, and how some risky decisions he made paid off. He showcases how every experience you have sets you up for the next chapter, as long as you make a point to learn from it. Please welcome Kevin and your host, Quint Studer. Well, Kevin, thank you for being with um, us on the Busy Leaders podcast. Um, And talking about busy leaders, you're one of the busiest leaders I know. This has been a very unusual year for you and in your writings and your publication company, and also Ballpark Digest. Um, you would think without baseball, it wouldn't be as busy, but it but certainly has. But what amazes me about you, Kevin, is I just thought you were this baseball guy that's been doing baseball your whole life. Um, and I found out that you really haven't been. You, you did some other things, and then you sort of morphed into baseball um, because of your passion. So tell us about um, the work the work you do, but I'd really like you to talk a little bit about your previous experience, because um, I think it, for a lot of our entrepreneurs that listen to this, that'll be very interesting to them. Hi. Well, thanks for having me, first off. Um, I uh, currently run August Publications, which does several sports, business, and active living websites. Uh, Ballpark Digest is the most well-known and the busiest in terms of traffic. We also do an arena site, a soccer stadium site. We do a Yellowstone site. And we do a spring training site. And we do books involved with all those as well. Um, I, I'm not a baseball guy. Uh, I was a I was a terrible player in uh, in uh, when I was younger, um, I, and I was an English major in college. So I was not even a journalist technically. You know, I was a Henry James scholar, and uh, got out of school, got into publishing uh, with uh, a magazine publishing firm in Minneapolis. Worked there several years. Service journalism, it was city magazine stuff. You know, every every city still has one of those magazines around. Uh, so it was Minneapolis-St. Paul. Uh, then I drifted into computer journalism, which was sort of an odd thing to drift into. Um, but I, I sort of followed the money because that was the first tech boom. That was the, the, the early to mid-90s when I got launched there. So, uh, magazines were, you know, computer shopper was, was literally this thick and sort of breaking every postal service law about edit to advertising ratios. Um, and then I went, uh, to a, to an internet startup, um, and that was purely networking. The people at Ziff Davis I knew went there, uh, eventually served as executive editor of internet.com. 
worked with a staff ranging from Hawaii to Germany, which meant my workday began at, at sunup in, in Eastern Germany and ended in Hawaii end of business day. And that was, that was quite the, quite the experience, uh, in, in so many ways, uh, learned a lot. Um, and how baseball fits into this is when I was at internet.com, I started going to baseball games as a way to, to not kill time on the road, but give me an outlet on the road. So I'd be in San Francisco for a tech meeting, tech convention. I'd, I'd hit the Giants. I'd hit the San Jose Giants. I would go up to Sacramento. Same with Boston. Um, hit Fenway. Hit uh, Fraser Field and Lynn. You know, those sorts of things. And uh, after, after the internet.com years took their toll, I cashed out my options, looked around for what to do, and, I, and, I, and the little internet site that I had set up, the website, uh, Ballpark Digest, was getting some attention. And so I just put myself into that, you know, full time and started attracting advertisers. And I said, you know, there, there's a business here, and it's, that was in 2002. Uh, the business is still going strong. You know, Kevin, it's interesting because so much of what we've learned over these years when we do through the Studer Community Institute, which is a not-for-profit, one of the things we do is training of small businesses and training in general. And one of the big topics this year is working with a virtual workforce because all these people had never had a virtual workforce and now they have it. You actually were ahead of the game because you had a virtual workforce before they were called a virtual workforce. So it's sort of fascinating that maybe some of the adjustments that a lot of us have had to make, you were sort of used to because you already had a virtual workforce in different time zones. I also think um, I did a talk years ago on be a good entrepreneur before you're an entrepreneur. And it's basically while you're working somewhere, start taking your entrepreneurship, but do it while you're already employed. So when you step out, it's not as scary. Plus, you've already got some experience to see if it works. And in a way, in a roundabout way, even without even knowing it, you were sort of taking your passion, which I always recommend. Biggest question I get all the time is, you know, what's the number one thing you tell young people? I said, find out what you're passionate about, because there's nothing that's easy. You never go undefeated. There's always going to be ups and downs. And if you're passionate, you'll you'll stick with it. So yeah, you're, you're, a, you're a great story when you look at the virtual to, to where we're at now, you probably could write a book on how to have a virtual workforce. Yeah, it was, and this was before video conferencing, you know, so uh, I, I had routines to make sure that everyone felt connected and stayed connected because I was in Minnesota at the time. Company headquarters was in uh, Darien, Connecticut, um, with also a big, big office in um, San Francisco. So I would be communicating regularly with people in those offices. I would have weekly chats uh, sort of based on geography with editors, making sure that, you know, even if it's just chatting about the weather, that everyone felt like they were connected to the main, main office. And uh, I found that to be the, 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 the biggest motivator for people because, you know, it, it's hard to work remotely uh, when you don't feel connected to the main enterprise, sure you're you're going to get your emails tapping out what you uh, what what your expectations are, but that that twice a week or once a week interaction with with peers uh, 
is something that you can't replicate any other way. And, you know, and speaking of entrepreneurship, I was lucky enough, internet.com was just a hive of entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. You know, if you had a good idea for a website or a business venture, you got, you got to listen to. I remember going to one trade show on networking, Networld, Networld it was called, it was in Atlanta. And tucked away in the far corner was this little group of vendors, uh, seven vendors, each with a little computer with a little Wi-Fi sign there. And no one was paying attention to it. And I said, you know, wireless, you know, everyone knew wireless was going to be big. At the time, it wasn't a sure thing that Wi-Fi would be the sure thing. Um, and so I came back to the office and said, you know, we got to jump on this. And so as a result, we launched like three wireless websites, Wi-Fi websites, and also launched a, a very successful show called Wi-Fi World in Boston. Um, and we were at the early stages of of that revolution and now of course wi-fi is everywhere i think it's amazing too um and i know this wasn't our original topic but i, I could talk about your internet experience all day uh, you know what what are some and you've done it i'm sure with with publications and that um you obviously have to take some risk and you're going to have some some misses aren't you yeah you know i after working at Minneapolis St. Paul magazine for many years, I started having some freelance money come in and I made the decision to quit that job when my son was all of, well, my wife was pregnant with him at the time and pregnant wife at home mortgage. I quit that job to focus on freelancing and it was the best decision I ever made because it opened up, uh, avenues to, to, uh, Less than assured, but greater revenue. I got into book publishing as a result. Uh, wrote and edited for uh, Henry Holt in New York back when Henry Holt was was a rather small operation in Chelsea. Um, but I I sort of leapt in, and you know, people, people, it seemed like the totally logical move to me at the time. You know, it's like, well, duh, why wouldn't I do this? Um, but then I look back now, and I'm going, would I, would I? take that risk now? And it's like, yeah, I think I would. No, it's tough. I got interviewed yesterday and um, I think they thought um, they, they asked me about um, a decision I made and they were asking me about a certain decision I made that they thought was the biggest risk decision I ever took. And I said, Oh, the biggest risk I ever took was leaving being president of a hospital when I had a $15,000 speaking gig and that was it. And you know, you're president of a hospital, you got pretty secure revenue you got bonuses, you got a pension, and then you start at 48 years old, just completely go out. And, you know, it is a risk and it takes a certain type of individual. Um, Tommy Duncan, who spoke at Entrecon years ago, put up a slide and he said, if you're going to start your own company, don't do a lot of research. And I, I just thought he made a mistake. And I thought the slide was supposed to say, do a lot of research. So afterwards, I went up to him and said, Tommy, you know, I think your slide's wrong. He said, no, no, that's a lot. Exactly what I meant. If I would have done some research, I might have done some of the things I ended up doing. So um, I don't know. There's just something about it. it's worked out pretty well for you because you get to do it what you love. And what you love, seem to love, is you seem to really love book publishing, allowing some authors to tell a story that they might not be able to tell if they went to certain publishing houses and not might not be able to, you know, have the impact they have. And of course, um, some of the websites you have and some of the work you do in sports. So tell us about the publishing company. Cause I, you know, I love books 
I love the idea of book publishing, and uh, but it's hard. So tell us about the publishing company. Well, it's it's a pretty simple model, um, and the model is we don't we don't publish anything we can't sell on our own websites. Uh, we get offers, you know, we get pitches quite a bit from about general baseball titles, about general sports titles. But at the end of the day, um, the, the economic model is we push through our uh, ballpark and spring training and Yellowstone sites. I mean, for, for the Yellowstone Insider website, we also do a Yellowstone Insider print publication um, that we sell through directly. Um, and the same with the ballpark uh, books. You know, the Baseball Thesaurus is, is in its third edition and sold extremely well. We do spring training guides as an adjunct to uh, the spring training online website. Uh, we've done some football stuff through our football site, um, football history, um, which, which is done very well. And, and so we don't distribute in bookstores. We're too small for a modern day distributor to pay attention to quite honestly. Um, but we, we can control the means, we can control the margins, we can control pretty much everything by, by just promoting in-house. It cuts down on marketing costs. It, it, it makes for a very predictable uh, way of doing business. And in this day and age, predictability is a good thing. Yeah, I was talking to one of your authors yesterday who's written you know, books about the Southern League and things like that. And he was talking about, you know, working with you and enjoying the work he does and the, the predictability. It's sort of like, here's how many books you have to sell to cover your cost. And here's how it works. And of course, some people are more worried about, there, there's books where you write because you want to make them profitable, but there's also books that you write that might not be profitable on their own, but they support the brand in general. They support what what you do. So you have to look at the the big picture and just going really off track here. I had no idea what a Yellowstone fan you are. And we have people listening to this podcast that will be from all over. Why don't you tell us a little about um, Yellowstone and if people want to access some of your material on Yellowstone. Yeah. The website's called uh, yellowstoneinsider.com. It's been around for about a decade now and it is just a, a front you know, my, my background's in service journalism, and this is just service journalism uh, in terms of visiting Yellowstone, getting the most out of it, uh, taking a historical approach to a lot of it as well, um, explaining why things are the way they are uh, in the park. Um, because once you're there, people don't, people underestimate how remote you are when you're actually in Yellowstone because, because, Cell phone service is practically non-existent. Uh, Wi-Fi is practically non-existent. And so you got to kind of prepare when you get there. That's the whole point of the book. The book we've done, which we're coming out with a new edition this spring, is aimed toward families. So it's Yellowstone Insider for, for families, basically. Um, pointing out areas that are relatively kid-friendly. Uh, there are some trails that, of course, aren't. Um, and... You know, in this day and age of screens and gadgets and whatnot, uh, parents kind of have to have a, a game plan when they when they head there. So uh, wow. avoid this trail because you're going to end up carrying your stroller for, for four miles. Uh, thing, things like that. And, you know, Yellowstone is, boy, it is just America. Just, just in, a, in a nutshell. 
in in virtually every trend in America you can you can experience when you're in Yellowstone. I love um, you know what I've learned about you is you certainly um, you've been very fortunate because you tend to wisely. You know, people might say, why would somebody who does all these sports books do Yellowstone? We did Yellowstone because you love Yellowstone and you're passionate about Yellowstone. And I, I think that's, that's where that passion comes in. So now let's pivot a bit to baseball. And I, I think many people, like you say, that's one of your more popular websites, Ballpark Digest. That's how I've gotten to know you. Um, that's how people get to know you many times and follow you. Um, so here's a, here's a place that writes about ballparks and ballpark digest in a season where there's no baseball. Many of the ballparks are not even open. And if they're open, they're not open like they used to be. What, what type of, when did you start figuring out this was going to be a much different year for you than you thought? Oh, I, I think when everyone else saw the, the COVID uh, pandemic headed their way, you know, in, in March, uh, we were in the midst of spring training season, obviously, um, but there were rumblings about spring training being shut down, and uh, I was supposed to head to spring training uh, in Arizona. I'd already been out in Florida. Um, I was supposed to go to Arizona the day they shut it down. I was supposed to get on a flight with a few of your fellow uh, minor league owners and uh, and head there, and that's when... Uh, I made some some financial decisions with the company, made some personnel decisions, uh, knowing that it was going to be really hard the next six months. And by and large, the projections I made back then have held totally true. Um, I, I saw that we'd be doing well in books because books sell fairly consistently. I knew that 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 you know the the minor leagues would be hit hard which more than hit hard, obviously. And so uh, made the adjustments, and now we're in, we're in pretty good shape. Well, you're ahead of me. Um, tell you how silly I was. Um, we're sitting here, and, of course, it, it's March, and we know the season's going to be delayed, and we're sort of sitting here going, okay, it'll probably start beginning of May. And then, well, maybe middle of May. Now, we did start, though, looking at pivoting and making some adjustments, but we, we probably held out hope a lot longer than some that's by some miracle. And then we'd say, well, maybe we'll play after the all-star game. And then it got, well, if we're, we're not going to start by now. We're probably not going to start at all. So we were not near as um, visionary as you were in, in our, our thought process on this. What, what's the year been like for you as you've, um, just in, in baseball with Ballpark Digest, what's been some of the ups and some of the downs this year for you? Well, the the ups was sort of being teased during spring training and, and seeing some some actually really great renovations in Florida. And, uh, you know, the, the, the spring training was shut down right before I was supposed to go to Texas and see their new ballpark. So I didn't make it down there. And so, you know, this year was going to be a banner year for new ballparks and, and our readers really expect us to cover them in depth and uh, missed out on all that. We missed out on our award season, which is undoubtedly my favorite time of year between the awards and then the award ceremony at the uh, winter meetings. So, you know, it, our, our editorial 
calendar overview was pretty much wiped out this year totally, and yet our page views have been up 26% over a year over year. So um, it, part of it is just people checking to see what's going on. And we were, you know, I'm lucky in that, you know, you had to keep an operation going because it took a long time for Major League Baseball to officially notify you that there would be no minor league season. You know, I, I didn't have that, that, that need to continue some level of operations past when I made my initial decisions to restructure things. Yeah, I think that's much fascinating. But let's go back to this because you said something that I thought was pretty interesting. This is going to be a banner year to report on new ballparks. So you were probably expecting a banner year for your website, yet you didn't get to do that. Yet I think, unless I can't, I didn't, sometimes my hearing's messed up. Um, I thought you said that your website was up 26%. Yeah. In a well, year when you're. And it's not, it's not web, it's not pages, it's up visitors. Visitors. Um, because our, our web service, uh, ISP, um, gives us statistics based on on visitors. Well, that's pretty. And that ranges from a single visitor over the course of a month to someone who visits. You know, there's some people at the three to four day level. Yeah, well, that's pretty neat though for you to. What What do you think caused that for you to attract visitors on a year when your normal product wasn't your normal product? Well, well, being being small, uh, we have to sort of cover things in deep depth. And so once we get on a story, we'll cover it really deeply between the, the, the minor league reorganization that, that you folks are going through to uh, when will Major League Baseball come back and what form will it come back? What happens next year? Um, we sort of obsessively cover that stuff that might get mentioned in, in the daily press or in other publications, but not, not to the daily level. Um, you know, we had a lot of attention, obviously, when they announced the 120 teams invited to be part of minor league baseball. You know, we saw some some huge spikes there. But before that, you know, August was really a good month for us. And I'm I'm still I I'm still trying to really pin down why past the fact I think we were covering the pandemic in, in all of baseball. And I include college in that too, um, and summer collegiate. We were covering what was going on in depth when a lot of people had already moved on. We wrap up here. When you look at it, um, one of the things I think you obviously you've been able to do when I read your go to your website is you've created some really trusted relationships with people over the years. Um, you know, people obviously tell you things that they trust that you'll handle the correct way. So, so congratulations. I think that's what helps helps build um, your credibility and what keeps people coming back to your site. I'm probably one of those three or four or five or six times a day type people to know what's going on. In fact, I tell people a lot of times, you and some others are how I found out what was going on many, many times because your guys are, are close to it. How, you're, you've, you've done some things. If you look over now this next year, what, what are you seeing for, um, let's say, baseball where a lot of listeners now will, will tune to? What, what are you seeing over this next year? I think we're going to see some delays in terms of the season starting. I, I think Major League Baseball is operating in such uncharted ground in terms of, of their season start versus how the minor leagues are going to be handled that uh, anyone who, I mean, there's they've released spring training schedules. I don't think a lot of people are expecting that to happen, mm-hmm. quite honestly, at least at lot, not in, in February, late February. Um, 
so much is dependent on the pandemic right now that uh, that uh, I'd hate to predict what's going to happen. I think college colleges may be okay because they don't rely on gate revenue. Um, major league can play with small gates because they play in such large facilities. I think uh, there's going to be a lot of challenge for uh, the 120 minor league teams that are left standing uh, because you guys need gate revenue at the end of the day. We need gate revenue. And then also depending on the health requirements, some of our facility locker rooms and some other things might just not be what's needed to be. Now I know everybody will make do and do the best they can, but that was always my concern when this got into it was the, the health requirements. And how do you do some of the health requirements? Now we'll see. We'll see what happens with it. And for those of you that want to know what's happened, how do they? Um, for those of you that have never been to your site, we have old people that listen to this, particularly healthcare people. What? How, tell us how they can access some of your books and some of your information. Well, the main website is ballparkdigest.com. One word. Um, if you're not familiar with the site, I would suggest taking a look. Um, and at the top of top of every page there's a newsletter link the newsletter comes out three times a week uh it's free and it sums up what's going on it's sort of an overview newsletter of what we've been covering what we're looking for in the coming week um there's about twenty thousand subscribers right now i would i would suggest uh subscribing you know we don't spam people we don't we don't sell our list to anyone so uh, if you're not familiar with it, but you want sort of an overview of, of what's going on in the baseball world, as well as the other, the newsletter also contains links to everything we publish on our other sites as well. Um, and the arena site is, is turned into kind of a little powerhouse as well in terms of visitors. Tell me about the um, arena site, because we haven't talked about that for people. Arena Digest. Yeah, it's been around for about a decade, um, sort of off and on. Uh, right now, it has been booming in terms of of site visitors and, and also the people that read it. You know, NBA teams have sort of been reaching out a ton, which which surprises me in a way. It's it's kind of flattering, to be totally honest. Um, but uh, the arena world is is struggling with the same sort of uh, COVID mitigation issues that baseball will, but they're dealing with it right now, and. Uh, so it's a what we publish there is a very much a real time look at at the state of things in in the arena venue world. All right. Well, thank you, Kevin. And again, thank you. You've been a great guide. Maybe it's those Wisconsin roots. You know, you're in Madison, the Madison, Wisconsin area. And um, yep. you know, when we've gone through things, and you've I've gotten to know each other this this last year, I'd certainly appreciate your guidance and helping us. Um, Oh, you're welcome. Navigate this whole crazy journal that we've been on. And thank you for being on on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Busy Leaders Podcast, a catalyst for inspired action, hosted by Quint Studer. Please subscribe, rate us, and write a review. For more information, visit thebusyleadershandbook.com.